Paul writes, Now Timothy has returned to us from you and has given us good news about your faithfulness and love. He says that you always have good memories about us and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. Because of this, brothers and sisters, we were encouraged in all our distress and trouble through your faithfulness. For now, we are alive if you are standing ground in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you, given all the joy that we have because of you before our God? Night and day, we pray more than ever to see all of you in person and to complete whatever you still need for your faith. Now may our God and Father himself guide us on our way back to you. May the Lord cause you to increase and enrich your love for each other and for everyone in the same way as we also love you. May the love cause your hearts to be strengthened, to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his people. Amen. Paul continues in chapter 4. You don't need us to write about loving your brothers and sisters because God has already taught you to love each other. In fact, you are doing loving deeds for all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. Now we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do so even more. Aim to live quietly, mind your own business, and earn your own living just as I told you. That way you'll behave appropriately toward outsiders and you won't be in need. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth, the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, even before COVID was a thing that we knew about in life, we had a general rule in our house, and that was this. In the fall and in the winter, we don't go to the children's museum. This was a rule because literally every time we went there, a viral contagion would spread throughout the entire family almost immediately upon return home. And the kids, of course, loved going there the most. And so this was always a topic of great debating. Uh, You might understand in my family that that would probably involve someone trying to negotiate with us. Uh, And it caused much consternation within our home. And if you have kids or you've been around kids or you've seen a kid before, you know what I'm talking about. Somewhere in your life, you have been around a pit of contagion. Maybe it was the ball pit at McDonald's. God help whatever in our minds thought that was a good idea. Or or anything at Chuck E. Cheese, really. Or the daycare program where you picked up your grandkids always alongside snot-nosed McGee when you were picking them up. Kids spread germs rapidly and ferociously and freely, unlike anything else in the entire known world. In the way that Paul talks about love in this section in 1 Thessalonians, he writes like it spreads like a virus a contagion at a children's museum. The love that God has for us, he wants us to see, is so strong and so powerful that it is like a wildfire. The underside of this reality, however, we know all too well. For it's not only love that spreads like a wildfire, so does hate. 
In fact, we are so accustomed to the velocity of vitriol that we are almost immune to the hate spewing that goes on daily in our world. Until, that is, it comes for us. Then we are all too aware of the snap judgments that can not only ruin a person's day, but ruin their lives. So today, as we think about this second Advent characteristic of love, I would like us to explore this gift and mystery of love. Perhaps we will be able to catch a little bit of this contagion for ourselves in this season. First thing I want you to hear about love, as far as Paul talks about it in Thessalonians, is that love is a response at least in how Paul writes about it. What I mean is this, in our understanding of the world as Christian people, God is always the one who loves us first. John Wesley called love the central characteristic of God, meaning that all other attributes about who God is and what God is like, God's holiness, God's justice, God's sovereignty, all of that flows from God's primary characteristic of love. We read in 1 John, right, that God is love. God is indeed just. God is indeed powerful. God is indeed holy and all of those things. But above all else, God is love. Another way 1 John says it, right, is we love because God first loved us. God is always, in our understanding, the initiator of love. So Paul can write, God has already taught you to love each other. This sounds like a simple statement because it is. But the verb that Paul uses is literally a mashup of two words of being taught and God. He puts them both together. And this is the only place this word is used in the entire New Testament. And it's in fact the only place that this can be found in the entirety of Greek literature. So for Paul, and frankly for Jesus, the gospel boiled down to this. Love God and love one another. Thus, this is the importance that Paul wants to instill about community over and over and over again. Not just in Thessalonians, but in every writing that he has to a church community. The bonds that they form as a community are directly a result of the love they've received from God. And then they share this love for one another that is rooted in God's love for them. Love like this is contagious. So is love a feeling? Is it just something that we catch? Well, love is indeed a feeling. But like Boston would say, right, it's also more than a feeling. You can start singing it now if any of you have the reference, right? Anyone? Like, that's a great song. Yeah, thank you. All right, good. There's a certain era of people that completely understood that. But, but it is also a verb. Love is an action as well. In her book, Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown writes this about love. She says, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow. 
Love is cultivated, Brown says. It is nurtured by us and it is grown. And it requires us to bear ourselves and to be vulnerable to and with one another. Perhaps this is why Paul both affirms the love that the Thessalonians have for each other and continues to encourage them to grow in this love. For being vulnerable to one another is always a challenge. In order to love one another well, we have to open ourselves up to the possibility of being truly seen and truly known by someone. The good news is that Jesus does this first for us, ultimately in the coming to earth as a baby. Could anything be more vulnerable than that? So God loves us first. Love is a response. Love then is also a comfort When we are loved, we feel safe. I think this is something that we might overlook in our daily lives. I remember being in my college years and my young 20s and hearing people say things like, be safe or remember to be careful and feeling like they were just afraid all of the time. And now that I'm a little bit past the age of invincibility, I recognize that the hopes for safety that people gave to me were really expressions of love. For that's what we want for children, a safe environment where they will know that they are loved for who they are and so that they can grow up and thrive. This comforting love feels like a child snuggling up to you or a warm embrace from a friend or family member you haven't seen since last year. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he is grounded in the comfort of God's love. He first writes to comfort this Thessalonian church, especially those in the church who have had loved ones die. That seems to be the emphasis of Paul in this. It's that some of the church in Thessalonica have experienced the death of their family members, and since Jesus hasn't returned, they're not sure what is the state of those people. So he wants to provide hope for this community, for what they can believe and know about their loved ones. But Paul also seeks to be comforted by the good report about the faithfulness of this church. Paul hears about their faithfulness, which is made known in how they are doing at loving one another. And he states now that he can live because they are standing their ground in the Lord. Paul literally seems to place his very ability to live in the faithfulness of this church in Thessalonica. Friends, is our presence for others a comfort? Have we received and been exposed to God's love enough that we are safe in God's embrace? And in turn, are we then that comforting presence to others? Love is also known in mutual friendship. In this passage, Paul is not writing like the great church planter or teacher from an ivory tower. No, he is not writing like one who is far above this Thessalonian church. He is writing out of language of love for this church in Thessalonica. He isn't posturing. Rather, he stands with these people. They are his friends. Perhaps this is one of the most offensive ideas in the Christian gospel. God the Almighty calls us, calls you, calls me, his friend. 
Jesus demonstrated this, right? When he washed the disciples' feet, got down on his hands and knees, and said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Now, I'm not saying that we are supposed to be buddy-buddy with God. But Jesus demonstrates that to love someone means to come near to someone. In our culture, friendship has sort of depleted. And it's not any one thing's fault. Oh, there's a lot written out about there about how hard it is for men in their middle ages to find and to make friends. Like lots gets written about that. A lot of people feel lonely even in the midst of what should be able to be so much connection that we have in our world, especially virtually. But what we really want, what all of us really want, is a deep and meaningful connection. We want to know someone and be known by them. This is love, yes, but it also describes the beauty and the necessity of friendship. Friends are the people we can count on. They laugh with us. They cry with us. We know that we can always reach out to them. And a true friendship is mutual. If you're, the all, if you're always the one reaching out or the one always in need, that love isn't reciprocal. It's not mutual. Perhaps as we think about this Advent characteristic of love, we don't need to figure out just how the mystery of love works. If that were so, you would no longer need the Hallmark Channel each night. Perhaps we simply need to be good friends. We need to cultivate friendships where we give of ourselves and let ourselves be known. We learn how to do this, after all, from God. Friends, could it be that sometimes we miss being the church that God is calling us to be because we mistake the idea of being friendly for being friends. Here's what I mean. Every church thinks that they are friendly. By this we mean that someone says hello to them and welcomes them. And that's a start. But if all we experience is friendliness, then no one really ever knows us then we don't know that someone ever has our back and that we can trust someone enough to be vulnerable with them. Now, that doesn't mean that we just gush our feelings and stories upon people the second they walk in. But it does mean that we seek to truly form relationships, to ask deep and meaningful questions together, to offer to pray for each other, to enjoy time spent just hanging out and in fellowship with each other. A church that embodies friendship is a church that will spread the love of God like a contagion. I hope more people walk in here and catch it too. Amen.